1: Back, Mike. Back. Good morning. Good morning, man. It's been a while. You yeah, I swear be. Wow, it's been like forty days. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's good to be back, though. Good to be back. Um, hope you enjoyed some of your time off for yeah. the one person listening. Yeah, uh, we took a little break, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, now we're we're back back in the the routine. This morning's question for you, Mike, is uh, I mean simply what is the good life but what i mean by that is uh, i i feel myself kind of aiming somewhere and i'm sure many resonate with that of like to to what end are we are we doing things right now and and in my mind i have this picture of hey you know this is the good life and this is what i'm working towards or or maybe this is the good life and this is why i'm experiencing either all of it or part of it but that image or that that, that direction has shifted of course over the years and i'm very curious how has how has that shifted for you what is it today so when you think of yeah obviously you're picture minded so what what Mm -hmm. do you picture when you think of the good life of where you've been over the years and how that's changed so that's my question to you mike what what is the good life how has that changed over the years
1: well i mean it certainly has changed that's for sure and uh Hopefully some of it is growing up. We'll see. But yeah, without a doubt, I won't even tell you all the ways I mentioned a good life when I was 16. But... <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll skip the teenage years. <laughs> yeah, i tell you, one of the, one of the reasons you, you have to grow up is that somewhere, after I came to Christ, somewhere in my 20s, I can't remember, I was telling my mom about all the times I'd fooled her about that I had actually drunk too much. She, she said, oh, no, I knew. <laughs> I said, like, oh, well, that really wasn't the good life then. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, Pat and I don't script these. And so I just listen to him. And uh, so, here's a picture that popped to mind right away. And then I'll have you take it on, Pat. So, um, there was a uh, person that once came to Jesus and uh, said, uh, good teacher, blah, 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 blah. And talked to him. What did Jesus say? I don't remember that. He asked him, but qu- he answered a question with a question first of all, which is brilliant, <laughs> as always. Which is what I'm going to do right now. So, well, I didn't remember what Jesus replied? I probably set it up so vaguely that your brain is scrambling from yes. Deuteronomy to Hebrews. Jesus says, "Why do you call me good? Ah. why do you ask that question? Because <laughs> he's Jesus Mike, and... <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, listeners, Obviously, obvious we've been off for a while. We're going to oil our wheels here. He says, uh, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. Why'd Jesus go with that route? No one is good but God. No one is good but God. Go back. To, let's go back to Genesis. The first six days. And uh, at the end of almost every day, God, Elohim, makes an assessment. And what does he say of the first day? The evening and morning. But he called it. Good. Good. Second, third, fourth, fifth. Fifth day. This is good. The only God can create good. Doesn't call it great. Doesn't call it awesome. Doesn't call it that's good. It's a moral assessment. Um, which good is? It's fascinating, by the way. If you ever ask someone, "Hey, how you doing?" They go, "I'm doing good." You really understand. For the few sixteen Americans who understand grammar anymore, you'd say, "Really? What exactly are the good acts you're doing?" <laughs> I'm doing well that's why uh, the famous Puritan said God loveth adverbs doing well is an adverb good is a a moral assessment so we see this uh, and then on the sixth day it actually changes God says "He creates uh, humankind in his image and he calls it very good very good Why, uh, why why did it bump up to very good
0: I suspect it has something to do with uh, being made in his image.
1: Yeah. Image and, ah, that's good. We often forget, ah, likeness, image and likeness. And you're right. So the reason it's very good is that uh, the animals don't have the moral capacity, not made in the image and likeness of God. They certainly have uh, wonderful characteristics, uh, excluding cats but uh, they have wonderful (laughs) characteristics, but uh, they can't say, you know, let's make a flourishing planet. So we have the capacity to make a flourishing planet, and that's why it's very good. And that's actually uh, one way to think about, here's the good life, it's the flourishing life. And we'll get into that in a moment. But, um, so we have a very good man, the image and likeness Now you forgot likeness. Why did you forget likeness initially?
0: Uh, I think it's simply often overlooked. We don't, we don't really talk about being in the likeness of God as, Mm -hmm. as often as we do the image.
1: Yeah. And, uh, probably because we probably assume they're one and the same, right? Image and likeness. Sure. I can see that. Mm -hmm. And they ain't. Yeah. How are they different?
0: The you know bearing the the image it's one thing to to look maybe maybe likeness you could say is embodying so we can we can look as God in, in his image but we don't necessarily act as God does we're not in his likeness.
1: Very good. So if we speed the film up in uh, Genesis three when Adam and Eve fall, do they still bear the image of God? They do, but they don't bear his likeness. There you go. So uh, some people have used these terms, structure and direction. Structure is the basic structure of, of, uh, of our lives, of who we are as human beings, is image. And it's, uh, it, it's invaluable, it cannot be changed. Likeness is rotating according to that structure, uh, as Lewis put it, when we sin, we get, when we go against the direction and rotation of the world, we get splinters. And so likeness, <clears throat> you see this in Psalm 50 when uh, God tells Israel because they've been idolatrous. And he said, furthermore, because you didn't hear from me, you assumed I didn't care. And you also assume that you are like me and that I'm like you when you act this way. So likeness is uh, you we are, Every single person that you will see today is made in the image of God. Uh, But the likeness is walking on the ancient paths. It is. um, And so the good life, the flourishing life requires uh, people, human beings, male, female, who um, understand what is human flourishing and then walk according to the ancient paths, of which none of us will ever perfectly adhere to them. All we are like sheep, going our own way. But uh, they constantly return to those paths. And uh, in returning, they can begin to uh, pursue a good life. Hmm. Do, you, do you recall how, uh,
0: you know, obviously let's not go to the 16 year old years, but let's go, let's go to the, the early twenties, you know, the, the, the start of your kind of working life. I I suspect you did not understand all of this then, right? <laughs> I yeah. guess you, you did not connect the good life to the flourishing life, but I also suspect you probably still had some picture in your head, you know, when you're going home to Kathy, when you're having a hard day uh, on campus in ministry or like, there's likely still something you're going, yes, but this is where we're going.
1: Yes. Uh, That's a good point. And, and, and I would say that unless someone is deeply depressed or in some way impaired, this is, this is what's the good life is what's called a sort of a subconscious thing. It's an unconscious thing. Now we know, from neuroscience that 95% of our behaviors are non-conscious. Non means they can be accessed. Unconscious means they can't. Yeah. Your thoughts can be accessed. God can access them for you. Uh, but they're non-conscious. And so you're right. We don't walk, walk. Or I don't wake up. I didn't wake up this morning and say, you know, <laughs> I'm going to pursue that good life. <laughs> now, I did wake up and said, you know, before I get out with Pat, I would love to have an espresso. Now, why? This is, were we back in your 20 days? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, see. I, this is now. I, yeah, when I was in my 20, here, here was a good life. So I came to faith in college, and I worked with a, a large, probably, the, I think at that time, the largest uh, parachurch organization uh, I got involved with as a student. So when I graduated, the good life was, was, a win, build, send was a strategy. You win people to Christ, build them with their faith, send them out to reach others. That was a good life. Hmm. So, what I had while I was raising support, um, you know, I had uh, one of my uh, supporters made a comment and said, By the way, you ever get tired of doing this? You can come work for me. You'd be making over 100 grand in a couple of years. What was he telling me was, was a good life? Making bank. Do you think I didn't remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have listened. <laughs> See, for us, the good life was this uh, selfless, uh, almost monastic experience. Uh, hmm. uh, I remember I made uh, my salary was $383 a month when I uh, started. So you're right. That uh, that went into my memory bank of, hmm, that might be the good life. Hmm. But you don't think in those conscious terms. It is whatever strikes you as uh, beautiful or a, or uh, desirous or whatever you, uh, the biblical word is whatever you begin to take delight in. And here's why I say this. So God is good. And that's why in Psalm 115 we read, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he delights in. That's a good life. Does whatever he delights in. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We are, our DNA by God is to do whatever we delight in. Now again, I didn't know any of this when I was in my 20s. Somewhere in my 30s, I bumped into Augustine. And Augustine said, the good life is the proper ordering of your delights or your loves. That's the good life. So you do whatever you delight in. In fact, he, Augustine translated um, Psalm 34, 7, uh, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And he wrote, here's what it essentially means. Love God and do what you want to do. that doesn't sound like fun by the way yeah yeah it sure does and i i, I was uh, you know i was a million miles away from that um love god and do whatever you want to do and so that's why what what um kind of bore a hole through my soul the first time i actually stopped and just pondered it and didn't try to turn it into a bible study was John 21 and uh, which I always thought was kind of a sc- screwy, squirrely chapter because John 20 ends on this great high note. And uh, this has all been written that you might believe and believe in have a life in Jesus Christ. Ta-da! The, uh, the credits run and then you turn of the page, John 21. What? Maybe it's like the band is coming back to do an encore <laughs> or something. And it's the story of Peter and that's actually, yeah. And he, in the Greek, he says, "I'm going fishing," and he takes over half the disciples with him. He's essentially saying, "I'm quitting. I'm going back to what I do well." He's quitting to return to the good life. He was a fisherman. Jesus saw to make a fisherman. Last time we see Peter, he fails three times. He denies Christ three times. If you were in his shoes, you would consider even, perhaps even taking your own life. Judas did. Judas did. What a massive failure. What a, what a catastrophic collapse of faith. So it goes back to, what's the flourishing life? And the majority of his disciples say, we'll go with you. That's stunning. Mm-hmm. Jesus invests three years and already half them flaked out. Because this is not the good life. And um, as you know, Jesus appears in the shoreline. They're way out there. They haven't caught anything all night. That's Jesus commanding the fish. Hey, fishies, stay away from that guy. You got it, master. <laughs> and uh, one of the, you know, he, he shouts out there, cast on the other side. We've been at this cast on the other side. They do more fish than they've ever pulled up. Their nets are tearing. Course, Peter's so caught up in this, he doesn't even notice, but another one does notice. Wait a minute, that's the Lord. Wow. They start hurting for sure, when it's shallow enough to eat, Peter jumps out of the boat, runs in. You know, he's not even repentant. He says, uh, builds them a fire, and they, actually there's a fire waiting, there's breakfast, and uh there's fish, there's bread. And Jesus does this thing that was harrowing When i first read it he first looks at peter goes peter do you agape me that means unconditional sacrificial love peter doesn't answer he says you know all things jesus says "Uh, feed my sheep a little later i'm sure peter's like dodged a bullet on that one Comes back and he says, "Peter, do you even do you do you agape me?" Second time he says, and in the in, the, in the English I know it reads, "Do you love me? Do you love me?" But the word is agape, and he says, "Lord, you know all things. <clears throat> Feed my sheep." Third time Jesus changes; it's no longer agape. It's the word philo, where we get a word Philadelphia. It's brotherly affection. Peter, do you even have a? brotherly affection for me. In other words, Jesus sees right through him. It doesn't embarrass him. He just and G, and Peter is mortified. You got me. Now the good news is Peter Jesus says, uh you know, follow me, feed my sheep. In fact, one day it's going to come and the good life for you is me you're going to be bound and taken where you don't want to go. And uh and I'll talk about that in a moment for uh, people who are my age who define the good life is I like, damn well go where I want to go, eat what I want to eat, travel where I want to travel. I can do what I want to do. Peter's just the opposite. No, you'll go where you don't want to go. You will follow me, even to the point of death, which you weren't able to do just a few days ago. <laughs> Here's Peter in his youthfulness, whips around, looks at John, and says, "What about him?" <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that <a> classic? Oh, <laughs> and that's man. how many of us define the good life, by the way. Is they bought what kind of a home? He he bought a Tesla. They went to Italy. So, and um, he says, "Listen." If I want him to stay till I return, that's none of your business. You follow me. Now that was a bit of a long-winded way to go. In my thirties, I began to ponder Augustine, who said, um, "The good life is the proper ordering of our loves. It's loving the things that God loves in the order in which He loves them." That came to prayer. We began to pray for our children almost nightly. I'm not sure we prayed that many more prayers because if you love the things God loves in the order in which he loves them, do what you want to do. That's the good life. And by the way, that good life then becomes defined by how are my neighbors doing around me? It's not just a vertical shaft between you and god if you love the things god loves you're going to love the world and you're going to love flourishing and you're actually going to define flourishing as a rising tide lifts all boats at that point pat which probably by my 40s or 50s i began to recognize that and all of a sudden it becomes really challenging huh i was thinking about your relationship
0: with dallas willard and (laughs) i was curious if you had any suspicion for him as well in in kind of this question because i i recall stories you've talked about where sitting with willard Mm -hmm. someone asked him so what about I think I think it was what about the Western Church? And mm-hmm. his response was, "You know, it's hopeless." Mm-hmm. Um, and and I suspect they
1: no, uh, didn't was, say it was hopeless. There's a difference.
0: What what did he say?
1: It's a lost cause. Lost cause.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Hopeless is definitely not the right word.
1: There is a Saint Jude, the uh, Saint of lost causes. <laughs> so, uh,
0: I, I'm I'm curious what his Thought may have been there, or or if you've resonated with a, a bit of a sense of like when you were with a parachurch, when you were a pastor, even your time at Clapham, there there's kind of been an inkling of change and pursuit of flourishing, or even even help help other believers understand flourishing, mm-hmm. um, and there has to be an extent. I would I suspect to which it, it could be exhausting pursuing that path where you, you you get to the point and it's kind of that hands up it's it's just a lost cause I, I, how do you ma- i don't know i guess i'm trying to ask what what do you think willard's picture of the good life was
1: yeah well i think he talks a lot about it in divine conspiracy um and he talks a lot about it in his book on spiritual disciplines uh and he makes a good point um, and I think he talked about this well, like 40 years ago, those little bracelets, WWJD. Remember those? Yeah,
0: of course. Well, Are you still wearing it. yours? No,
1: but I'm getting <laughs> to an age where I recognize if I say something like that, people go, What? <laughs> they say something before uh, the new millennium. They go, oh My God, how old is that guy? 1986. Um, And he made a good point that he said, you know, if you have to ask, what would Jesus do? Then you're pretty much lost, lost the whole point. Anyway, the point of the Bible is who would Jesus be? What kind of a person would make that statement? What kind of a person would say, for example, the first to be last and last to be first. And where does that even come from? And so What Willard talked about with the disciplines, which he began to head into after he left the pastorate, he's a Baptist pastor at one time, Um, was we don't, we don't become the kind of people who would unconsciously, would non-consciously just think the way Jesus would so he had another good book on uh somehow it's about discerning the will of god way back when it's got a different title today and um i think it was called in search of guidance but this was revelatory for me he takes you to galatians and uh, where there are several passages where it could be uh, the faith faith in christ or the faith of christ in other words the point is not just to believe in jesus but to actually adopt the faith in Jesus. And if someone were to say, faith of Jesus, Jesus doesn't need faith. Well, as a matter of fact, the Bible does say that in his humanity, he had to continually entrust himself, faith, to God, his Father. So Jesus has faith. And the point of the Bible is not so much to believe in Jesus, that is important, but it's to adopt the faith of Jesus that you would, uh, without even thinking about it, if uh, someone told you something scurrilous about someone else, you would just go, you know, excuse me, hold on, let's get them on the phone. Because that's just one side of the story, and Proverbs says, there's always another side of the story, and uh, I don't want to slander that person, potentially. Or it could be that you uh, you get a big refund, or you get to come into more money, and you just say to your friends, you, know, you say, hey man, now we can buy this and this, and you go, you know, we're really more fortunate when we give than when we receive. We're really more fortunate. Fortune, by the way, in the Greek God, fortuna, is all wrapped around flourishing in the good life. Here's a fascinating thing, Pat. It's godliness. But what did Paul say? Godliness is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The good life is partly, a big part of it is contentment. So... You drive a, maybe you drive a 20-year-old car. And you go, this is a good life. You really mean it. You know, look at the latest version that came out and go, that would be a good life. Discontentment is, uh, is what drives America. And the reason I say that is (laughs) whole thing called the advertising industry mm-hmm. yeah we don't need to get into that but i think that the reason that uh, dallas felt the western church was a lost cause was for a couple of reasons number one because he was a uh, his academic chops were in the medieval world and um, similar to lewis and what's called modernity that is the outworking of the enlightenment and the outworking of the enlightenment is i as an individual under my own authority define what is a good life
0: mm.
1: i define what is the gospel mm. i define how i understand discipleship i define um it just goes on and on and on hence the explosion of individualized takes in the gospel since the enlightenment and the reformation is is staggering And lewis was wrestling with how will the church ever be one? Now I know there are some who will say to me, oh, but listen Mike, the Bible says we are one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, let's just take baptism. There's like 16, 18, 20 different views on baptism. So I think that that's a very static, sterile view of oneness when people say, um, no, no, the church is one. We're all one in Jesus. Well, listen, I've talked to people, their view of Jesus is radically different than the one I understand. And the one that uh, older church traditions hold to. Radically different view of discipleship and sure. sacraments yeah. and so on and so on and you know, so on and goes. And so, this whole notion of the good life is um, it's daunting under the conditions of what's called modernity, because modernity wants to do a couple of things, especially technology. Number one, it wants to distract you in the morning when you wake up. Could we ever imagine 40 years ago, everyone would wake up and pull a little black thing, slender thing, and stick their nose in it for the next hour. (laughs) They wouldn't even see the sun come up. They wouldn't take in the aromas in the morning, be conscious of it, rather. Can you ever imagine, also what would pop up on that little thing was discontentment. Hmm. Not coming at you directly, indirectly. Wow, look at that, a 70-inch TV. All of a sudden, fifty-five just doesn't cut it anymore. Of course, fifty-five came all of a sudden. you thirty-three; didn't cut it anymore. Oh, the life of the peasant. <laughs> yeah, you, you get the point.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what you're saying there is catching catching my mind here a little bit. Like, I'm thinking about let's go let's go with one scenario. Trying to think through contentment, but also what you want. You know, there's, there's, I guess, a tension there. You know, you can be discontent because you want something else. But I think maybe the the idea here is, as you love God, then you become more content, and those two come together. And one example right. where I'm thinking of is, let's say you just, you, as many I'm sure don't, but you don't enjoy what you do for work. So you have a, have a job you do not enjoy. Maybe it's a level of stress. You do not enjoy something there, but at the end of the day, maybe you don't want to be doing it, but you're content because you get to spend more time with your family or, you know, um, I don't know. That's, that's where you're content. So it's, I guess I'm thinking, is is that kind of where you're thinking? You're, you're in line, it's not necessarily, well, you don't enjoy your job, and so go find a job you want to do. It's more of seeking out contentment with your situation and learning to appreciate the good that you already have. Like, is, is, there, is there a right. piece of
1: that to it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it becomes, I mean, first, it's very, it becomes much more difficult with the rise of the corporation to make that connection. In other words, if you used to, if you cobbled shoes, the uh, it was a pretty simple line from here's your customer, they come in, you make the shoe, you hand it to them, they hand you some money. You go, this is a good life. And uh, now you, you write a line of code that uh, is part of uh, millions of zeros and ones. and. I think it's really hard if you're a thoughtful christian to go um well i gotta do some mental gymnastics here to sort out how this is uh part of the good life there's a part of me that wants to say to people who write about you know find your calling or vocation i always want to say nice work if you can get it it's mm-hmm. uh i always think of the guy who's building the f-150 uh, ford Uh, on an assembly line. What's going to make sense to him? Now, he's been told the good life is 30 and out. Right. So give up 30 years of your life. I don't think that's the good life. But where Christians haven't been, or at least you see the power, this this, uh, Leviathan of modernity is, okay, well, It's the best-selling truck in America, Ford F-150. So a whole lot of men and women are gonna buy that truck. And if you won't stand here on the assembly line, someone else will. So you wanna go find yourself? Go, man. You come home and you tell your wife, and she goes, I hope you didn't make that permanent because I am turning your little rear around and sending you right back to work. Because we have a thing that was developed some hundred years ago, incentivized by government called a mortgage. Mortgage, by the way, never heard of a mortician? That's right. A mortgage is slowly <laughs> killing something off. We say it's the debt, but often it's slowly killing you off. Because we have in this country, which, by the way, hundred years ago was a was a nation of renters, far exceeded homeowners the government decided to incentivize through mortgage interest deduction and what have you, the good life is, hell no, you don't rent. You buy. What do you buy? Watch HTTV. We can afford 300000 Good. Let me show you some homes at three fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I mean by the Leviathan of modernity. And somewhere along the way, you're going to have to recalibrate what is possible. In the 21st century, in the Western world, what is possible? What could we chip away at? And and um, I think it's going to be different. If, but if you're if you're someone who wants to be a, a faithful Christian, you got to start to chip away at that and go. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very simple. And, and I'm not saying Kathy and I are saints on this thing at all, but some, somewhere along the way, um, because I love uh, sports cars. I had a second car, sports car, and then I drove around a Mazda Tribute. Just let that one get dirty. But oh, holy smokes, let my, my let my sports car get dirty? Are you out of your freaking mind? And uh, so I came in one day and looked in the garage and said, I think I love it too much. It's disordered. So I put it up for sale. My kids were shocked because I always told them, I'll have this car the rest of my life. <laughs> it just wasn't part of the good life. Why? I was getting older. How much older? Maybe I was in my 50s. And uh, I began to say, I want to hang out with my kids more. Can't do that if you're driving by yourself in a car. And then uh, and I drive a 22-year-old pickup truck. Why? Because I'm some kind of saint? No, nah, nah, why? It's because uh, we live with four grandkids who bang things when they walk by them. <laughs> I don't give a flying flip if they bang. Well, I mean, I don't encourage them to take a baseball bat to it. But the fact of the matter is, I'm freed up. I just freed up some time because I'm content. It doesn't have power windows. Oh my get pet. I want to repeat it doesn't have power windows.
0: Mike, you sound like a dinosaur, man.
1: I know, isn't it great? I really do. I, mean, I think I joined good company because, uh, listen, the Greeks had it backwards. They always talked about it. the good life is this the good, the true, the beautiful. You heard that? Mm-hmm. It's past backwards. In fact, the Emma Gilchrist, and we've always touted his book, The Master and His Emissary, the reason. Other reason we tout it is that you're not going to read it, no one knows, we no don't reads it, but it's uh, he makes this good point. A bias of the left hemisphere is to take something and make an, an abstraction. You do that by throwing a, a the in front of it. So instead of uh, something being good or that's true or man, it's beautiful, you call it the good, the true, the beautiful. You just turn it in an abstraction that means nothing. Here's what i mean so tonight you have dinner and your wife puts out this beautiful oh, this lasagna and you go honey this is really the good the true the beautiful she would look at you like oh no my husband has turned to drugs <laughs> furthermore the order is a giveaway it's actually this adam meets eve they begin touching one another and it is beautiful in fact, we know that language formation is what you touch, so you use their hands, and that's why he talks about this is flesh and bone. That's the two things he feels, and you let your imagination run wild as to what he touched, but they find it beautiful, which is good, and then it becomes good, and that's true. And so... My point in modernity, someone—it really does turn into often purchasing, and you just you get it. And you, go, oh, this is beautiful. So therefore, because God loves me, it's good. Therefore, it's true. But what you don't hold intention is. In God's economy, a rising tide lifts all boats. God doesn't bless you if the neighborhood and the town you're in is declining, or there's injustice, or there's poverty. That, I just think for the reason that Willie really felt American Christianity's lost cause, is that just takes a lot of the fun out of it for a whole lot of Christians I know, because they have a good life as they define it, but it doesn't involve a rising tide. So, when you ask, what's the good life and how mine has evolved, where it's evolved, I love Milne, uh, E. Milne, who wrote those famous books. He said, I wake up every morning with two competing desires. One is to simply enjoy the world, and the other is to change it. He goes, it makes it very hard to plan a life. And I think that's a good tension. So, the good life is not all the things that I accumulate, and all the places I can travel, and all the foods I can enjoy, and all the things I can acquire, could be part of it. I don't know, but uh, it's held in tension with we are all made in the image of God. And there's a there's a cosmic connection there that cannot be ignored. It doesn't matter if you're black, white it doesn't matter if you are gay or straight, there is a connection to the image of God. We are to love friend, neighbor, enemy, Jesus said, because our flourishing good life is tied up in their flourishing. Now I'm not saying that everybody gets to do what they want to do and live as they want, that's not my point. But the good life is it's just a lot more involved than how advertisers have reduced it down to. And I think what I've felt as I've gotten older is things that I pursued that I thought would be the good life. I felt some of the the vacuousness of it. I felt some of the the bitter aftertaste of it of saying, mm-hmm. oh, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. By trying to learn. And I would even say in planting a church in 1987, because it, it boomed, and there was a part of me who said, this is a good life. I'm a successful pastor, whatever. I look back now and think, what does that mean? It basically meant we were the fastest growing church in the county, and unfortunately, nothing fails like success. So when you're the fastest growing, you have people come who are looking for the fastest growing church. I accommodated that because I wanted a good life. I was a good life. I was fond over, I was paid, uh, I was popular. well, God took care of that, <laughs> and uh, we had a fire guy and we due cause, and a couple hundred people told me I was an idiot or more things than that, <laughs> and uh I thought I was just some kind of buckaroo, stud, but I was really hurt and that, some several told me I can go to hell and I just wanted to tell them to go to hell and uh, there, see isn't that what Jesus would do <laughs> you, you attained the good life <laughs> I attained the good life uh, so I um, you know I had to be disemboweled I had to be uh, I had to unlearn and you'll spend the rest of your life doing that but I do think that a lot of the stuff out there about find your passion and Find you this and find you that. It's just nonsense. Come on. It's just, it's just, I uh, often want to say, well, let's take a field trip to Ukraine and let's, you know, you give them a rousing talk about finding your passion. We travel the most of India, most of Africa. Travel to China, good article this morning, the most rapidly aging country in the world with daunting challenges. And let's say you're a believer there and you're going to talk about, you know, yippee kai-o, and follow your passion. Hmm, really? Jesus. Peter, here's your good life. You've always done what you wanted to do. But in the end, one day, you'll be bound and you'll go where you don't want to go. You're gonna do what you don't want to do. You're gonna find that's a good life.
0: Just to kind of process a little bit at the end here, thinking about it's it's trying to connect what you had said. It's it sounds like the good life ought to be loving as God loves the order mm-hmm. and the order in which He loves them, right? Yeah. And the pursuit of that. Is the pursuit of the good life so that eventually you can just simply do as you please? Because as you do, you will be doing as God does. You will be in the image of, you will be in the likeness of God and you will be, you will be as Jesus was, not and, and is, not just as he
1: did, right? You're not
0: asking that question. Is that- that's right. Yeah.
1: That's a, yeah. Uh, and again, because throwing one little, thing again under modernity what willard lamented is is all of this is divine uh, de- uh defined individualistically and so i would say you know peer over the horizon because uh in older traditions that all that is is um, held in tension with two things number one what's called solidarity solidarity simply says you look at the poorest in your in your town you go would i want to live that way if you find yourself going, not really, then you've got to modify how you understand the good life. Because if you define the good life as, I don't want to live that way, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And then the other is, uh, uh, um, we'll leave the word out. It's more like subsidiarity is what the word is that loses people. It simply means and sometimes those people need a little help. So you don't put, you don't create a nanny state But you help. You help. And you help in tangible ways that that cost you uh, to the degree that you just can't buy all the toys you want to buy. Otherwise, it's not really helping. And so, if you buy all the toys you want, and you have 1% of your income left, and so you uh, toss the leftovers that's not the good life that's not the good life so you're actually right pat and uh, what you said you just we hold intention with you peek outside your windows and you look around your town and go so for me what the growth has been since the pandemic is the uh, pop-up pantry that my wife developed for the hispanic community because i remember the first time i went there were over, I think, 400 cars that came through, but I found myself thinking, "I wouldn't want to live this way." And it takes a lot of courage to, as a, you know, as a white guy to go. Ah. Fact of the matter is, I look forward to driving back home to my home in the burbs. I wouldn't want to live this way. And Jesus goes, well, "Let's talk about the good life, then." Mm-hmm.